It's the Creator Spaces show. Guest today is Tom Nasser. He's an expert in all things product, entrepreneurship, and automation. So, Tom, first question for you today. Do you consider yourself a creator? I absolutely do consider myself a creator. I think that creator term used to be a great definer for people on YouTube, writing blogs and things like that. But in this no low code space, creators, I think, are starting to bleed into the area of creating automations and creating systems and process and documentation for the business. And like a creator or a designer are starting to really get blurry lines around where that process starts and stops. And for me, that's been a really exciting edge to be on. I think the creator mindset is tremendously valuable when we're starting to look at some of the tools that we have at our disposal now and then just playing with them simply. A lot of the value that you can create is just out of play and out of necessity. So yeah, I'm certainly in that bucket. What do you personally create? So personally, I think I'll be speaking mostly around my 2020 experience. So just to rewind the clock a little bit from a background perspective, my background's in philosophy. I bootstrapped a business-to-business design agency for four and a half years and grew that to about 20 people and sold it to a bigger agency here in New Haven, Connecticut. So everything digitally related, right? Like the automation space, the design space, the development space, all of this was foreign to me. And I literally created my old company, Checkmate Digital, as a way of getting paid to learn. What am I creating? It's more, what am I learning? So I sold that agency in 2019, October of 2019, which was the luckiest timing that I could have imagined. And then coming into 2020, One of the things I did at Checkmate and one of the reasons that we ended up getting acquired is because I had set up automated systems inside of the company. What does that mean? A Zapier Zap that was 60 steps long, that whenever we signed a new client, it would go into our project manager and it would create the templates inside of Google Drive and it would auto compile a presentation, create a QuickBooks customer and send an invoice and create a Slack channel. And it did all of these things associated with setting up a client for my agency. So I ended up making this onboarding automation for my clients and for my team internally at Checkmate. And that was just an enormously valuable thing. Everything could get done immediately, the same way, all the time. And I had confidence in that. So throughout 2020, basically, I used that as a blueprint. I reached out to a couple of friends in the, in the agency world. And I said, look, this is what I did at Checkmate. This is some of the efficiencies that you can create. And I started building and creating these semi-automated, fully automated processes for organizations and doing a lot of thinking about what is worthy of human attention. It's a real question. Like We have to grapple with that. We're humans in an AI and robotic world. And we need to think about what is worthy of your attention and how does the organization intentionally craft processes so that you as a human experience whatever you're supposed to experience operating inside of the company. And when you extract that to like beyond a 10 person consultancy, beyond a 20, 50, 100,000 person organization, you start to see these patterns that can be daunting and it can be a huge opportunity. And it's this weird intersection that I like to think of as a workflow. In the workflow inside of the company, what is your experience as an employee? 
or a founder. Like when everyone's talking about user experience inside of an application, let's bump out of that for a second and say, what about your experience working at this company doing this process that involves five apps and versions and drafts and blah, 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 and deadlines. These are the experiences that people are having. And I think especially in the COVID world right now, we're all working from home and it's like a little weird. These processes are having a really hard time matching with people's expectations and what the firm actually needs from a value creation standpoint. You put out a LinkedIn post that sort of breaks this down into a few categories. And I was wondering if you could go into that thought process just a little bit. Sure. The blog post is entitled The Company X-Ray Method. And this is what I was thinking about to create more mindful time at work. How do we remove the work between the work and just focus on the things that actually require human attention. And there's four categories at the top of the blog post and then three categories at the bottom. The first four is what every company experiences, and that's everyone uses SaaS tools, everyone has business processes, and inside of every single business process are robotic tasks and mindful tasks. So between business processes and software tools, pretty much every knowledge worker on the planet is doing those two things, operating inside of a process, using some tools to do that process. Really not overly complicated. But on the bottom half of that blog post is what you would need to do to make a semi-automated workplace. Those are things like documentation, asset templates, and automated work. So automated work goes down a whole rabbit hole of methods that you can use to execute work more simultaneously, leveraging tools like Zapier and surveys and operational databases and like a whole bunch of other nerdy things inside of the automated work. But on the documentation and asset template side, it's super simple. Documentation is like, how is this supposed to be used? At small companies, we suck at documentation. At large companies, we're bogged down by documentation. (laughs) So there's some essentialness of documentation. But asset templates, you can think of them as the blank templates that the robots update and edit. So just rewinding the clock back to Checkmate, when I was talking about, hey, I do my whole client onboarding is all automated, I had a welcome letter, a kickoff presentation, And those two things were actually Google Doc and Google Slide templates that you use handlebar notation. And when you do those bracketing inside of your documents or inside of your Google Slides presentations, you're able to treat them like variables inside of a Zapier. It'll make your life a lot easier because you just make that one presentation and then you have robots execute the template. It's just the right way to do it. We can certainly shift gears into Zapier. I'll go from the top. I've been using Zapier since 2016. I think it makes a ton of sense for a lot of obvious reasons, just making simple logic of if this happens, go do these other things, able to extrapolate simple logic for people who aren't technical. And you can build really complicated things using that, but you really have to know what you're doing to do more complicated things. I think the vast majority of Zapier users are doing two to three steps automations, but that doesn't mean you can't make a 50-step automation for doing client onboarding. Like That still holds true. And I'm so excited and happy that Zapier is as big of a company as they are because it's huge validation for the space. 
What's your current goal as a creator? When I think about creating stuff, I think about maintaining the momentum of what I've created. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. For example, I used to automate a lot of things inside of Google Sheets. So every automation I would build, I'd add it to this Google Sheet. It was this enormous Google Sheet. And I did all this stuff in Google Sheets. And as a creator, like I took a lot of pride in being able to use these tools in that way. Then somebody moved to column and pretty much all of the work that I had done, all the automations that I hooked up got scrapped because I needed to rebuild everything into Airtable. So one of my goals as a creator is to build things that I personally do not need to maintain and is not going to break regardless of my direct involvement in it anymore. And that's really hard to do. I think I'm still practicing trying to do that. I don't think I've figured it out perfectly yet, but creating things that make more time for humans to do human things and building in a way that they can understand. And it's not this like black box inside of the automation tool that no one else understands. That's the problem, right? As a creator, I never want to build something that someone else can't understand. Tying your client's hands together and saying, see, I'm the only one with the scissors. I'm the only one that can set you free is not a great way to run a business. If you could send a tweet back to your start, what would it be? I'm a big stoicism believer. And at the beginning of my entrepreneurial journey, I really did not focus on the things that I can control. Like in every situation, there's things that you can control and there's things that you can't. And being acutely aware of the things that are out of your control is very liberating, I've found. And when I think about the darkest moments that I've had in my startup career, it's been times that I am so emotionally and mentally and physically wrapped up in whatever this outcome is or whatever this thing is that's actually entirely out of my control. So if I were to send a tweet back to myself back in the day, and I'm still trying to remind myself this on a daily basis, pretty much is focus on the things you can control, acknowledge and accept the things you can't. We all just experienced a global pandemic. How much of this is in our control? And are you going to be stuck at home, upset, wallowing because we can't go to the store or whatever? Of course not. There's more to life than things that you can't control. There's a whole section of things that you can't worry about those things. It's hard. Nobody's saying this is easy, but it's got to be a conscious choice. And we're conscious beings. We have to accept that and choose that. That's all. So for me, one of the things that has been very intoxicating about philosophy has been a guy named Ludwig Wittgenstein, and he is a philosopher of language. And one of the things that really stuck with me is that we can all be saying the same words and interpret things in very different ways, but still communicate enough to have a conversation. So I could tell you right now, I'm sitting on a chair and you all might be sitting on a chair, but does your chair have legs or wheels or a back, a headrest, armrest? Is it leather? Are you outside and sitting on a rock or sitting on the ground? Does the ground become a chair because you sit on it? So mentally, when I think about the philosophy of language and our interpretation of language and how we use words, and you look at 
it the mouse, right? This little thing that we use to point and click. And 50 years ago, we didn't call it a mouse. A mouse was something you didn't want in your house. But we can all talk about these seemingly non-abstract concepts, like a mouse and a chair. But when we go into more abstract things, like Notion bridging into a whole category of what is a document and breaking that paradigm, the, the notion between documents and folders, or going into automation specifically and talking about achieving certain outcomes, like how do we interpret the words that we are working towards? And I think language is a really important and interesting pivot point for us in technology and people outside of technology because it bridges the gap with marketing language and technical language and non-technical language. And we still yeah. use English, but it's a different flavor and it's not a dialect. It's almost like this understanding gap between using the same words and actually understanding what those words mean. From a philosophy standpoint, one of the things that I think about often, it's the philosophy of language. Tom, you brought up a few interesting points in there. And one of them that I really want to dig in on is Notion, because mm -hmm. I don't understand Notion as a tool. I think it is probably the single least useful tool I have come across to become popular on the web. At least to my mind, everything that Notion is built for starts to break down around a team of five to ten. And I just haven't seen it used at scale. But I trust you, if you love this tool, that it is very useful. So could you explain Notion to me? Yeah, well, this is a tall order. So yes, I think what Notion does right now is allow every document to be a folder and every folder to be a document. And in paragraph form, when you're writing out a document and you want to refer to something else. So for example, I'll just take the client onboarding example that we've used in the majority of this conversation. Yeah. If I'm writing a, a document or a Google Doc about, hey, when the client onboards, we need to do this, then we need to do this, then we need to do this. Notion allows you to say, okay, if we are onboarding the client, make sure they have their Slack channel added. And then that Slack channel word could be an entirely other document that's nested inside of this document. So when I click on the Slack channel thing, it could take me to a document explaining everything about how we name Slack channels, what kind of content we put in each Slack channel, how you extract the Slack channel ID so you can automate things into it. It could be okay. this whole other treasure trove inside of or referenced by that onboarding document. Right. What are all these tools doing? All these tools are trying to do is take our brain and put them inside out so that it can work as well as our brains work. All these tools tools, documents, knowledge bases, everything is only trying to exchange and capture content and context that are in the human's brain to give it to another human. That's the only reason why we use SaaS tools. Otherwise, what's the point? So I think Notion is the best first example of this type of user experience of being able to nest information in this particular type of way. Do I think it's enterprise ready? I don't know. What's your North Star metric for success? What are you looking for? For me, it comes down to happiness and stress level, first and foremost, because I'm not going to be able to help and deliver value if not feeling good. 
Oh, see, I was expecting billions made. So. <laughs> I very firmly believe that dollars are a function of doing the things right. If you're in business to primarily make money rather than being in business to provide value in a way that you enjoy, it's probably not going to be a business you're in super long. And I think younger entrepreneurs especially get caught up in the romantic story of entrepreneurship that happens to be in the media right now. But if you look at what actually happens in it and the shit that entrepreneurs just slog through to try to make it happen, none. <laughs> There's none. So like the metric that I care about really is am I getting enough sleep at night? Am I waking up in a cold sweat? Look, it's gone through every aspect of life, right? There's been times where I've been too stressed to eat and throwing up in the morning on an empty stomach. It's just like a bad place to be. And there's places where I made how much money today? Shit, I would do this for free because I'm having so much fun. And you're on both sides of that. So for me, it's a lot more about, am I centered? Am I balanced? Am I treating myself or my body with the nutrients that I need to perform at my best? And hopefully we don't skip lunch.